Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today, we're talking about college and college admissions in our highly uncertain world. Our guest today is Ned Johnson, president and founder of Prep Matters, one of the most well-known college admissions prep companies in America. And before we talk to him, we are going to talk about what we know is certain in this moment of uncertainty. Do you want me to start? I've got my list in front of me because I was thinking about it earlier. Okay. Yeah, nothing is certain. But here are the things in the Silverman household. I have two that are tried and true. First one is that Luna's going to bark at the mailman. Every day. So I know that that's going to happen. I don't care what's happening in COVID. As long as there's a male person and as long as Luna is here, Luna's barking at the male person. And then we get some bonus barks at Amazon Prime or Amazon, um, anything else that's being delivered. Um, so that that is a tried and true. The other tried and true is that somewhere between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, I will get the first meaning there's more, the first ask of, do we have a dinner plan? By one of the three children, one in particular, which will be followed by the second one that will ask me about a dinner plan sometime later. But those are, you know, they say death and taxes. They're th- things that are certain. And, you know, today, in, in you know, at any time, those are my two certainties. Those are good ones. I, I don't, I wish I had some. I'm going to give it a moment's pause while I just ramble about your certainty. So <laughs> I have a dog. My dog, just to steal on yours, she knows when there's a dog outside. It's oh, yeah. amazing. It's like, you know, a dog sense. Right. And so she, she barks when there's a dog outside, which is annoying if it's late at night or in the early morning. Some people say you can train your dogs, but we don't know what that means. We We were... I would argue we were better parents of children than dogs, but I don't know. She was also the sixth. One thing I know for sure about college, and I really, really know this for sure because I've had five kids in college right now, at, at this point, that you can get out of college whatever you are looking to get out of it wherever you go. And in fact, one of my kids wanted my youngest to apply to the college they went to, and he didn't want to go. And they said, why? And he said, but you didn't really like it there. And the response was, I liked it as much as I would have liked any college. So I think that's true. I have some kids, wherever they would have gone, they would have had the best experience. And some kids, wherever they would have gone, it would have been fine. So I want to say to all the parents out there who are doing this for the first time, don't fret. There's a college for your kid. No, that's so good. And it's so relevant. I was just sitting here thinking, so I've got, as soon knows, right, one one out of college, one in college, and one who's a rising senior. And so she's going through her, I call it her virtual college search. And it is it is so interesting because looking, it's funny how your lens changes with, with each kid. And we just had, in the same way that one of yours said that, Sue, ours just said last night, he said, you know, it just may be that I'm not one who loves the college experience and I just might have to get it done. I'm like, that's a really fair statement. And whereas, you know, first one loved it, I'm going to anticipate that our third one will love it. And it, it's not going to matter where she goes because she's going to find the clubs or start the clubs or find her people, you know, it and and all of these schools. I, I, I do wonder, and we had posted this at one time, so I was thinking we should resurrect it. There was an article 
can't remember if it was ours or if we posted from another source about how the college visit may not actually be helping the college decision process. And it is very interesting to watch our youngest go through the search and how she has to go about it, the research piece, without being wowed by a dining hall that looks like Hogwarts and being, you know, wowed by this, you know, a certain campus. Now, do I think you get a feel when you get on a campus? Of course. But I I can see a real value in the research and how she has to put the pieces together in a way that it's almost like the visit is going to be last instead of the visit being first. Not even almost like. It is. (laughs) Hopefully that will at some point turn around for these kids and they'll get a chance if they can and want to, to go see campuses. But the other thing that I really know for sure is that other experiences while you're in college are also going to be very significant. And it's such a hard time to think about it because it's so hard to find work. But getting internships in this space that you think you might want to get a job is so essential right now. And it might be, if your kid's at home right now, and a lot of the extra costs aren't on you right now, it might be a great time to get an unpaid internship and just make sure that you actually like what you think you want to do and also have something to put on your resume. So I think as as important as it is the right fit for the college, when you're looking past that and look, thinking about first jobs, it's really important to have something on your resume that you've done. So this might be a really good opportunity for that. One thing that I find really fascinating is trying to put myself in my kids' shoes. And I had such an entirely different experience going to college and applying to college and living high school that it's hard for me to imagine what I would be doing today. I just, I wasn't as mindful or aware or wise or articulate or any of these things that I think this generation of kids Yeah, I agree with that completely really a leg up on. So what I if I if I were looking at it through my own lens, I'm not sure I could get to a decision, but if I had to do it over with my kids, I would really try to take the anxiety and and move into the chill factor because it's just not worth all the energy that we put toward making what we see as the perfect decision. What do you think, Steph? I totally agree with that. And we we keep saying to our kids, particularly the one who's in college, right? Nothing is permanent. So you can make, you can say this is, I think how I'm, this is the decision for now. You know what? I gotta, like, I'm like reframing it because now it doesn't matter. So one of the things I think kids are figuring out today that's really super exciting is that there's there's a lot of freedom in what's happening right now. Yeah. And so you can take your pod of people and you mm-hmm. can go somewhere together and have this really exciting experience. So for all the things that we're losing, I think our kids are best at coming up with some really creative solutions. Uh, and I don't, I think they're not being generated by the parents. Like a lot of times the ideas coming from the parents get an eye roll. Even if you plant the kernel of the idea and then they come up with it with their friends, it just works out so well. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, so I I feel like, you know, not to be so cliche, but there are definitely opportunities here right now for kids to have, not all kids like being on campus. Not all kids want to be part of Greek life. Like there's a lot of things about college that get sold that aren't really working for for kid, for all kids. And so maybe this is some hybrid of a way to experience life for them that's going to be memorable. And well, what we know for sure, it's going to be memorable. But hopefully they'll have some moments that are memorable and wonderful. 
Yeah. Okay, so up next is our conversation with Ned Johnson. We can't wait for you to join us. Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Ned Johnson is the president and founder of Prep Matters, a professional tutor since 1993. He has devoted in excess of 35,000 hours in one-on-one test prep. Considered by many to be the most sought after instructor in the Washington DC metropolitan area, Ned has served area students as well as clients from across the country and around the globe. Thanks for being with us, Ned. Ned, I want to first start by saying thank you, Paul Tuff, because I read his book, The Years That Matter Most, and then I interviewed him, and you're like a shining star in his book, and so then I reached out to you, and now I get to know you because of Paul, so thanks, Paul. Oh, we love Paul Tuff. As much as I love the years that matter most, I think I might like How Children Succeed even more. He's just a great thinker, and it's a wonderful book. If you haven't gotten both of them, buy them off. Let's get the conversation started on what you are an expert at, which is helping families get ready for college. You have mentioned that there are four great outcomes of online learning. I'm going to list the four. That Thank I, that, you. <laughs> and then if you could just tell us a little bit about them. One is intrinsic motivation. The other is autonomy. The third is time to pursue what you love. And the fourth is sleep. If I may, I'll tell you a story about a student with whom I'm working right now who's a good student at a very, very good high school, uh, a place that's very um, academic, very academic. And she has to work really hard to do well. She's kind of complicated neurological profile, some anxiety, some attention issues. And this online thing for her, she's been living her, her best life. I got her the other day and, and she said, you know, I, I'm going to bed at like, you know, maybe 11, 11.30. I get up at eight, I, I, I exercise, I go for a walk in the, in, the, in the woods, take my dog. I come back, I make myself uh, my own avocado toast. And that's about the best 
best thing in the world. And then I sit down and do schoolwork for about two and a half hours. And then the rest of the day is mine to play with. And it's fantastic because she's trying to hit all of those things. She's really running her own life, which is such wonderful preparation for college. And we really want kids to be running their own lives before they head off with fistfuls of our money and, and our wishes and our prayers. But she's also getting all the sleep, right? I mean, I have a student I was working with the other day who's, who's been, you know, I do all the standardized test prep. And so she had been here and she's been scoring at this level. I asked her, I said, just out of curiosity, I said, how much sleep have you been getting since, you know, the whole COVID thing? And she's like, eh, maybe 10 hours, 11 hours. And I said, awesome, I love that. I said, do me a favor, how much, how much sleep were you getting during the school year? And she's like, around six. And I said, I want, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to put a pin in the map or in the calendar or somewhere in the back of your thinking. And I want you to recognize that this is what your brain is able to do when you are fully rested because there's so many kids who, who they basically never get to do school when they're fully arrested. And so they, they perform better, they think better, they're easier to get along with. We're easier to get along with because they're just not as, as tied up. And so we were on a webinar the other day and this mom was talking about, uh, uh, it was the angst um, documentary folks haven't seen that's terrific. And so uh, this, this mom said, I have these two kids who are kind of introverted and they've had all this autonomy during this process. How, how do we, what do we do when we go back to, to kind of to, to normal? And my co-author, Bill Stickshoot, is a clinical neuropsychologist and spoke for 30 years on the effects of stress on the brain. He said, I hope to gosh that we don't go back to the way that it was because we have basically created a factory where kids are tired and stressed almost all the time. And it's a terrible, terrible model for brain development. So this online learning has, because no one can sit here and be on Zoom for seven or eight hours a day, you know, teachers and, and students are trying to figure out how to, how to do what's necessary and then more or less let kids go off and do, you know, the asynchronous learning, go off and do learning by themselves. So it's getting autonomy, it's getting sleep. And to your point about intrinsic motivation, and I'll combine that with it with their interests. When we were writing our book, one of the people we looked at is a guy named Reed Larson, who, who had studied in the 90s. He said, how do adolescents become intrinsically motivated? Meaning they're doing things that matter to them. They're doing it because they care rather because they're, they, they're, they're worried they'll, they'll get punished or, or they'll get bribed, you know, carrots and sticks, right? And he said, it's not by, the, by dutifully doing your homework. It's through the passionate pursuit of pastimes. And so one of the things that I hope is coming out of this you know, incredible distress we're all under right now is that it's creating more space, if only because school has sort of shrunk, it's creating more space for kids to do the things and pursue the things that they really like. Now, I understand that it's kind of hard to put on a theatrical production right now, but... That's actually, Ned, there are, there are places figuring it out. I've been watching all... My son's a singer. I've been watching all these groups. There's last uh, a group from... Oh man, I think they're from Washington. Sixteen teenagers did the group, the song "Smile." It just it, it was it was stunningly good. Yeah. And and when I, when I think of like, you know, it was a four minute clip that brought tears to your eyes and and a whole bunch of joy as well. And those kids probably spent forty hours nailing that. Now, if you're doing homework, you do it to get the angle, it's good enough and you move on. But it's when it, it's this passionate pursuit of pastimes where you work at it and you work at it and work at it and work at it. And it's this brain state of high focus, high intention, high determination, high enjoyment, low stress. That's the brain that we want. It feels a little bit like Montessori. Was it like that, Steph? Montessori, like where they're so engaged in something yeah. they love? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you look at Montessori, you look at kindergarten, right? Five-year-olds have more autonomy, more say over how they spend their time than 17-year-olds do, right? Every Who year doesn't the kids want are that? Cool. 
right? It's the self-determination theory, right, of intrinsic motivation, of competency, relatedness, and autonomy. It's, you know, Dan Pink's book, Drive, if, you know, he resexed it up as, as autonomy, mastery, purpose. But who doesn't want that thing where, where I try to pay attention to what I like, what matters to me, and then I may ask your help, I may get some guidance, but more or less, I'm allowed to pursue it in my own way. If that's what you want in your life, why wouldn't we want that for our kids? Okay, so let's move on from what's great about right now to parents who are tearing their hairs out right now because they have a sophomore or a junior and they don't know what to do about what they envision to be an obvious college path. Can I raise my hand on that? I have a junior, Ned. I have a senior and a sophomore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the college process has always been crazy making because, you know, you, you want to get into a good enough college and you certainly feel like you have a low sense of control. And so one of the things that's really, we, we want to feel control when we can, but one of the things that's even, it, it's terrible, is feeling like we're in control of things that we actually can't control. Or feeling like we should be able to do this, should be able to control when we can't. And so it's a little bit of that serenity prayer. If we focus on what we can focus on, we let go of what we can't, and then we try to be wise enough to know the difference. And so, yeah, I, I feel for every kid who's a junior. I mean, today, by the way, you know, PSA, today, today, we can finally register for the SAT. But if you, I mean, imagine if you're a kid who's a kind of a B-ish student and you rock these test scores, but <laughs> sorry, no chance to take the SAT. It's really hard. What I would say is that all the fear that we have, particularly as parents, it's not really about the present. I mean, I understand that the, the turmoil, and, and but really when we think about this college process, our fears aren't about today, they're about the future. And this idea that if my kid gets into school B rather than school A, that, that, that all that, that A life will, will evaporate, will disappear. And it's just not so. The literature does not support that. That where you go to college, particularly if it's highly selective college, is incredibly valuable for getting your first job. But after that, in terms of career success and happiness and even the amount of money that you make, it's really the person, not the college. And so I try to remind people, I try to remind myself of that because I have a kid who's just gone through this process, that we're really, it's the kid, not the college that makes the difference. So we really want to be building children, not building college applications. So let's talk about those kids for a second. <laughs> what should these kids be doing this summer? Well, it's a good question. I would go kind of back to that, you know, that passion pursuit of pastimes. And I understand if you're if you're an athlete, you know, it's kind of hard to play lacrosse, you know, one on one. But in a perfect world, people are sort of entrepreneurial, meaning that you you say, here's the thing that I want to be doing, and what's the version of that? You know, most kids are most teenagers, given a lot of runway, are remarkably creative to figure out ways to do this. And so I would say, you know, try to keep doing the things that you're interested in, try to keep developing those in part because it's it's more fulfilling, but also lives, this sounds so silly, but lives authentically lived really do come through to college admissions folks. And that's what they glom onto. That's what they look for. We all know this, that, you know, teenagers getting, and parents pulling their hair out, but what do they want from me? What am I supposed to do? I think that's really backwards, in part because we think that we're trying to sort of, you know, beg and, and borrow and talk our way into going to college. But you want to remember that you're not just an applicant, you're a consumer of educational resources. And so you really want to be thinking about what do you want to do and find the college for that, as opposed to just the school that's the, the highest rank. When we talk about colleges, educational counselors talk about college cousins, right? Meaning you fall in love with Brown. Amazing place, but really specifically, what do you love about Brown? And then, you know, try to research and then go down the line and find schools that are like that. How do you work with students and families who are focused on one dream school? It's a great question. The two things for me are, one, figure out why it's your dream school. 
and really ask yourself, what about this? What are the attributes? So that you apply to that dream school and you reach for the stars, but you then also kind of back yourself up with a college that's a half less, a half step less competitive, half step left, based on those factors that make it a dream school. I have students who, a student the other day who said, I, I, I'm really trying to decide, I love Brown and I love Duke. And I looked at him like, dude, you're nuts. Those schools could not be more unlike. I mean, I mean, they're both wonderful, but it's like, you know, chalk versus pistachio. I love them both, but they sure are not the same thing. So we really want to pay attention to, just like with dating, what do you really love about this person or about this place? And, and that's an organizing principle. And, the, and part of the thing that's hard right now, we know for all of us who've gone to college or have gone through with kids, that going on campus is where you feel, oh, this place feels like home. That's hard to do right now because if you go to college, there probably aren't even people there right now. So I would try, I'm trying to get kids to spend as much time online as possible. My son. Well, so when you go back to the idea that two schools are so different, so what does it actually look like if I'm a parent and I'm talking to my kid about like I've, I've I'm listening to you and I'm thinking I got to get my kid out of this headspace of about one dream school. Yeah. So I sit down with them and I make them say, like, why is that your dream school? Yeah. Importantly, we want to do this in a curious way. We have these, and my, my, my colleagues who are college counselors, they made these little college visiting cards. And it's a bunch of questions to look for. In the back, there's a pro and there's a con. And I, and I hand these all to kids. And I said, I said, this is important. You're going to go to college. You're going to love the college. Or even more interestingly, you're going to hate the college. And then your mom or dad is going to ask some incredibly irritating question like, well, why don't you like it? Right? And that feels like, why don't you like it? But you really want to pay attention to the architecture. It's way too old and gothic. Or I want the old and gothic. And they don't have that, right? You know, everyone's scattered. Everyone eats. No one eats on campus versus everyone eats on campus. You're really trying to pay attention to this. You can't argue taste. It's very helpful for you as a family, for as a kid to work with a college counselor at your school to be able to put your finger on, these are three things that I've, I've really figured out are important to me. And these are three things that if they have it there, I just want to run the other direction. And so, yeah, it, 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 you're it's exactly right, Sue. You want to ask your kid, well, tell me more. Instead of saying, well, why? Or, because that often feels like starts a, an accusation, right? <laughs> why didn't you, right? Tell me more or how so, right? These kind of more open-ended questions. Are 17-year-olds able to ask answer those questions? Some yes, some no. Some yes, some no. I mean, there are there are kids who are voluble and they just want to think, I love this and this and this and this, and other ones who aren't. Here's a fun question. I had a, a colleague who's a college counselor, and she actually, and she, this boy was trying to figure out what to write his essay about. And so he's like, I, I got nothing, I have no idea. And she came and asked me, she said, if you had an entire day and you could do whatever you want with it and money didn't matter, you could just spend it however you want, how would you spend your day? And his eyes lit up and he started talking about learning a Dylan song and playing guitar and this kind of stuff. And I am looking at this guy gobsmacked because this guy played football at a, at a kind of powerhouse school, roughly the size of a barn, you know, a very laconic guy, probably a lot to say, but said very little. And I'm looking like, Dylan, like what? And, and so, as parents, as kids, we want them to pay attention to what they care about, and we want to do the same kind of thing. So when you look at college, the college process, one of the essays is always, why Duke? Why Brown? Why Barnard? Why, 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 why? And if you say, I love the weather and the sports, 
that is, you've got, that means you haven't done your research. That means you're buying a bumper sticker. So we want kids to, if you love theater, go online and find what are the actual courses that are taught there. If you like biology, what slice of biology? Look at the research that the professors have done. You really want to do your research to figure out, is does this going to be a place that's going to, I'm going to thrive? But also, and this is really important, right now we can't really visit colleges. And colleges care remarkably about what is known as demonstrated interest. And what that means right now is they're looking at, does your son or daughter open the email? Does she click through? Does she spend two minutes on the website? Does she spend 17 minutes on the website? How many different pages does she go to? What pages does she go to? It's a little big brother and a little creepy, but these are also these kind of digital breadcrumbs that we leave on, on websites of colleges that we're interested in as we spend the time figuring out why we're interested in them. So, Ned, let's talk about, you said something about, you know, annoying parents or irritating parents, which um, I just can't imagine. Can you talk about the parent's role in this process? You know, you talk about this idea of moving from manager to a personal assistant. And what does that look like in a healthy relationship? And in and especially when you talk about, like, these kids opening these emails, like, not being, how do we not be that parent? Like, did you open that email? Did you, right? Talk to us about that conversation. I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I had a conversation just like that with my daughter this morning, who's just finishing up her work. And we got an email from the school saying, you got to do this and that. And I don't want to keep nagging her because honest to gosh, the more times you ask a kid to do something, the less she wants to do it. And so I said, look, I want to support you in this, but I don't want to nag you. Is it helpful for me to ask you about this? So the, the kind of the things that we want to do, we want to offer support. We don't want to force it down their throat. We want to offer advice. We don't want to force it down their throat. So, you know, you can say things that may ask you a question about that. Would you like some help on this? You know, in the book we talk moving from being a manager to being a consultant. As an example, I have a student who's incredibly, uh, incredibly talented athlete, highly recruited. And the boy is getting like 14 million emails from every coach in the, in the country every, and because he's, he's just he's great. And his mom is an attorney. She has executive functions out the wazoo. This boy is, you know, a boy. So there's that. <laughs> and she said, what do I do? What do I do? I said, would you like my advice? She said, yeah. I said, sit him down and say, can, can we talk later this week? Can we talk on this weekend about how I can help you? Can, can we pick a time? You're giving him control. You're not getting him in the middle of something. You pick a time Sunday at three. And then you say, just say, really, say, look, I want to help you through this process. I know there's a lot involved here, but I don't want to run it for you. But I have to admit, you know, I get really anxious. I'm worried that we'll miss a deadline because sometimes people just miss deadlines. Is, can we figure out a way for me to feel like I'm supporting you without running your life? My suggestion to, to her was pick two days, Tuesday at seven o'clock and Sunday at three. When you go through those emails, you can be his personal assistant, just as you described. I'll be willing to make the Excel spreadsheet. I will check off that the things are done. You tell me if you've written the email, right? And you can just, you offer advice. And, and if, if the kid says, I don't want to do that at all, then you don't do it. As an educated, you know, thoughtful, caring mom, you have all sorts of wonderful ideas. And all that we want to do is suggest them. And if we do it, would it be all right if you're generally going to get buy-in? What happens when we mistakenly say, if you don't do this, you're going to screw it up. And then kids are absolutely intent on doing it their way, even at the risk of screwing up because they just want to be in charge. So much conversation about test optional. Can you give, <laughs> give, give us a, like, what, what's your take on it? Well, the, the language that's being used this year is, is grace, meaning that so many things are disrupted. The SAT blowing up, APs a little wobbly, 
fourth quarter grades don't exist, no one can do sports, no one can do debate, no one can do whatever. And so colleges are really talking about this idea of grace that we're not gonna hold, hold against you the things that you weren't able to do. And so knowing as well that, that COVID has been, has affected everyone, but it's affected people unevenly. So some people have lost jobs, have lost, you know, family members have lost, have lost everything. And other people are like, well, this is irritating, I can't see my friends. So we've seen all sorts of places go test optional, probably most prominently, University of California. And so the idea is, if it's, if, it's, if it's a challenge for you to take these tests, if you can't find a place, if you can't register, if you don't think you're going to do well, if you just can't because life is life, we don't worry about that. You focus on the things that you can, again, that you can control, that you can do well, and that, sh that show well for you. On the flip side, if you're a student who's prepared well for these, who's really looking forward to the, who, who actually just does great on these tests, then you want to you want to take them, because anything that you can show to, to colleges will be helpful, including test scores. But colleges have been very vocal for not all of them, but for many of them, that if you don't have scores, that's going to be okay at least this year. What we don't know is is whether things will go back to normal starting in, in, for the class of 2022, or whether this will carry on. But my advice is. If you are pretty good at taking tests, if you have the means to, if you have the opportunity, if you have the energy to, I would try to take them because if you have, you know, all the kids graduating college who are missing fourth quarter grades and kind of no one has anything to show, if you're a kid who has something to show, that's probably going to help you stand out from the mix a little bit more. Excellent. All right. So we're going to end this with the question we always ask our guests. What is the biggest parenting myth? <laughs> I think... I think the biggest parenting myth is that this is a meritocracy and the inputs of which you can con control, right? There are just so many institutional priorities for colleges, and, and it, it can be the most academic kids, but it can also be we need more athletes, right? This year we need people who can, who can pay more because we need to replenish our coffers without, which we don't have financial aid. We want, we want, we want. And so it's so hard not to get caught up in that idea that it's a pure, merit, that it's a pure meritocracy. And so then when, you're, when your kid doesn't get accepted, you feel injured like someone's looked at your baby and, and said, eh, not that pretty a baby, right? My experience is that generally people, people don't get into wonderful colleges unless they have something wonderful to show. But there are all sorts of wonderful kids who say, to, to, to whom colleges say, mm, I'm sorry, we just didn't have space for you. Levy, who was the uh, uh, director of admissions and financial aid at, at uh, Yale for, for decades, I'm not sure if he's still there, I, I'm test prep guy, not a college counselor. He made this point, this goes back 10 years ago. He said, we can take all the people whom we accept, whom we admitted, and put them all into the shredder. And then out of the reject pile, take out a complete, a, an entire second class. And they would be statistically identical to the first class. We could do that. We could probably do that two, three, four times over because they're just a lot of really talented folks. So our, you know, everyone's interest, we talk about fit, we talk about you know, all, all these things, but know that um, you know, it's not purely meritocratic. And if your kid gets overlooked and that was a mistake, we know that you can thrive you know, through college, you can, you can thrive in graduate school, you know, in career. The idea that four years of college is, is, is the most important thing in life, it's a piece, it's not the piece. Ned Johnson, thank you so much for your sage advice and taking the time to talk to us, and we wish you well. Thanks. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for joining us for Your Teen with Sue and Steph. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. Also, if you want to receive our newsletter, head on over to yourteenmag.com. 
Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. If you like today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review or send the episode to a friend. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.